If you have your Bibles, open them up. We are ready for um, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to cheat a little bit. We didn't quite finish... um, We didn't quite finish chapter 9, so you're going to have to finish that up on your own, but just won't have time to get into it today. So again, if if you're new to our community today, and I see some new faces, and I wanted to welcome you, and and basically, um, you know, we're we're, uh, a people that believe in this book. You know, our emphasis is teaching the the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, worshiping the Lord, allowing the gifts of the Holy Spirit to move. Um, We believe that this is not a book of morals, a book of right or wrong or do's and don'ts, that it's a book about Jesus. And and that that our goal is to to know Jesus and meet Jesus and that um, Jesus is the answer and the change in our lives. And when we, um, you know, in the Bible, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, it says the word of the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's kind of tweaky because you're like, if if Jesus is the word in verse one and, and or you know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, does that mean that Jesus is the Bible? Well, that's what it says. It says that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is in the word. He's revealed in the word. So in other words, you know, if you go to, you know, Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. You know, Moses, if Moses was here, he'd tell you that the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, it's all about Jesus. First and second Samuel of Nathan, Samuel, David, the prophets were here. They'd tell you that the history section of the Old Testament is about Jesus. If the psalmists were here, they'd tell you that it's about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. The Old Testament is an index finger and a, a pointer that points to the cross. And the New Testament points back to the cross and it all meets in the cross. And so we, you know, we believe in relationship and about Jesus. But we believe that comes through, through just a healthy study of God's word. We encourage people here in our church to read their Bible and pray every day. That you, know, that you grow as you, as you get in the word of God. You grow as you read for yourself and um, read the Bible in a year. It's a great thing to do. So we come to um, chapter 10, and before we do, it, it kind of sets up in chapter 9. So let me, let's look at verse number 35 of chapter 9. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered. You know, if Jesus looked at this group today, he would have compassion for you guys, because you're weary and scattered and rough looking. And he would look at you guys with this same compassion. So, so one of the things that we love about Jesus, that was a joke, I'm just kidding, calm down. He, only this side of the room is really ragtag looking. You guys over here look good. But Jesus was a, was a person of compassion. And it's something that, that, that should drive all of us. The Bible says that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. What does that mean? The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ motivates me. You know, so many times we try to motivate people um, in carnal ways or with religiosity or with do's and don'ts. But really, the Bible talks about that it's the thing that really motivates me to want to serve God, to love God, to go to church, to, to be in God's word, to get to know Jesus personally and intimately. It's the love of God. It's the love of God that changes lives. And so, and, and when Jesus was asked a question, he's by, by the, you know, this young man comes and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, 630 different commandments the Jews had devised through, through the law of Moses. What's the greatest one? And Jesus said, um, when Tooele Springs needs that 60,000, write a check. And the second is like it. Um, no, Jesus said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Right. And so he, he talks about loving God. He didn't say have good doctrine. He didn't say go to church, pay tithes. He, he said, love God. 
And the reason is because if, if we as a people, if we as a community, if we focus on loving God first, are, are you going to murder people if, if you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Some of you might. No, just kidding. You, you will not. You're just not who you are. It's not, it's not what's in you. Do, do you realize if you have an addiction or a bondage in your life right now, if, if you focus on getting free from a porn addiction, from a, a, a prescription drug addiction, from anything that's going on in your life in, in, a, in, a, in a sinful way or a way that you realize for yourself, hey, this is not healthy for me. Like, you know, not that we're under condemnation of it, but you realize that it's something that you, you want God to take from your life. You want God to heal you. If you want God to touch you and, and help you and give you strength that you don't have in your flesh. That, that if we focus on those issues and those problems, they, they just get worse. And, and we just, we struggle more and we become more depressed and more internal. But listen, Jesus said the formula is that if you love God, you're not going to want to do those things. You know what the key to walking in the spirit, the Bible says? It says that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. So, hey, I'm struggling with these deeds of the flesh and I, I really don't want to. And that's not me. That's not who I am as a person. I don't like that part of me, but I still struggle with it. God says, if you'll focus on the things of the spirit then you'll not fulfill these deeds. And, and, and us, all of us as a people, right? Loving Jesus. Somebody say, I love Jesus. OK, we love God. So so the compassion, that's what we're focusing on. Compassion there in in that verse. Now, look at um, verse number thirty seven. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to get into a section where Jesus is going to send out 70 to do ministry, practical ministry. Now, as you know, we're, we're, we're following the life of Jesus through the gospel of Matthew. We've seen Jesus um, be raised up. We've seen Jesus get baptized. We've seen um, Jesus begin his, his earthly ministry. We've seen him come to the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5 through 7. And then, he, and then he, he proves himself not just a teacher in chapters 8, 9, and 10, where he begins a series of 10 miracles demonstrating his power over every possible entity the world has to throw at him. And he heals blind people and he raises dead people, showing his power over sin and death. He, he walks on water. He, he, he tells the wind and the sea to be calm and they obey him. And his disciples marvel and say, who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obeys him. And Jesus is beginning to show his, his power over these things and raising up and training. And he's got these 12 um, ragtag group of men that he called his apostles and disciples to follow him. And he's going to reach a point in the middle of his ministry where he's going to take these 12 guys and he's going to give them a hands-on ministry lesson in, 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 in being ministers and being apostles and doing the gospel. So he's going to send them out on these like short-term missions trips to, to go out and do ministry. And so um, the the... In verse 37, Jesus is talking to somebody. And what does it say? Who does he talk? Who's he talking to? Then he said to his disciples. So listen, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says. The harvest is truly plentiful words in red, right? How many guys have red letter Bibles? Say amen. So you see these words in red, the tr truly, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now look at this in chapter 10. And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So who did he send out? He sent out the, the 12 that, that he called to pray. 
So those that were praying for God to use, for God to send somebody, God sent them. Catch that? This is how this, is how this practically lives out in church on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, God, God puts something, some need on your heart. Like you see our church and you're like, man, our church really needs to get out on the corner and like preach the gospel and megaphone style or something, you know. And you come to me and you're like, pastor, you know, God's really put it on my heart. I've been praying. Why, why, don't we, why don't we preach the gospel in the street more? And I'm like, God, God put that on your heart. Maybe you need to be the one out there. God's calling you. God's telling you to go preach the gospel on the street. You know, oh, no, 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 pastor, you need to do it. No, I don't need to do it. God didn't tell me to do it. You're the one that's been praying for it. And listen, if, if, if God shows you a need, you know, people come and say, oh, we, we need better Sunday school teachers. I've been praying for better Sunday school teachers. And I say, well, here's your application because God's calling you to be that better Sunday school teacher. You know, we need, to, we need better something in here. It's hot up in here. We need better air conditioning. Praise God that he put that one on your heart because that's him calling you to, to meet that need. You know, we bought you guys some fans this week, but, you know, my pastor used to always say a family that sweats together stays together. So we're living it today, man. But it's it's July. It's all right. Come back in December. It won't be so hot. But um, but again, what's cool here is that the disciples are the ones praying that God would send somebody to to Willa to, to meet the need that is there. And God says, well, you're the ones praying for it. Why don't you go? Why don't you be the one that God has called or the one that God has sent? And so oftentimes, you know, each, each of us see life and see ministry through the eyes that God has given you specifically in your gifting. That's, that's a biblical principle. That we're different parts of the body of Christ. And, and, and then God has given you the ability to see certain needs. Now, one of the ways that we understand that or describe the different spiritual gifts that God's given each one of us. For example, my son Luke. He's in the back there messing around. Um, no, he's good, right? Paying attention. Hands to himself. Um, if, if I said, Hey Luke, I'm, I'm really thirsty, man. I'm getting parched up here. We give me a glass of water. And Luke goes and he grabs me a glass of water and he's walking down the aisle here and halfway up he trips and he falls and he busts that glass of water all over the stage here. Now, the way that you respond to that situation is your spiritual gift. So Chris sees that and he says, Oh man, that glass must've cost five bucks. Hey Luke, man, here's 10 bucks. Dude, go buy yourself two glasses. Chris's spiritual gift is generosity. So he sees the need that just happened through his gift of generosity. Now, Shane, Shane's an encourager and his gift of the Holy Spirit is encouragement. So he, he comes to the situation. He's not going to get his checkbook out, but he's going to go, oh, Luke, hey, look, it's cool, man. I know there's a lot of people that saw you do that. And it's a little embarrassing. But look, man, when I was in high school one time, like, you know, somebody ripped my, you know, whatever. Like I got embarrassed really bad in high school and, you know, I lived and, and um, Dan here is, is a teacher and he's been given the gift to teach. And so Dan says, Luke, listen, you got to hold the glass with two hands. You got to use paper towels around the outside to, to, to soak up the condensation so you don't slip. You got to put foot in front of another and you got to pay attention to where you're walking so you don't fall. You know, somebody else has the, the gift of admonition, you know, and they come and they admonish him. And, and, and just the natural way that you would respond to that situation is your spiritual gift. But here's what happens in church. Um, Chris says... Don't you guys see the need? He broke the glass. He needs money. So why don't you get out your checkbook? Now, he's mad at, at, at Shane because Shane won't write a check. But Shane's gift is encouragement. So Shane is like, dude, he, this kid's broken. Like, put your checkbook away and put your arm around him. And Dan's mad at them both because he's not getting out his checkbook or encouraging him. But he's like, he needs to be taught how to do that properly so he doesn't make that mistake the second time. 
And, 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 and what happens so many times, right, in our community, in our body, is that we see things through our eyes. And, and the, the, the smart church, or right, the, the healthy community, we, we don't get mad at Chris because he didn't teach or encourage. We don't get mad at Shane because he didn't write a check or teach. We don't get mad at Dan because he didn't write a check or encourage. Each one used their spiritual gifts. And we allow everybody to use the gifts that God's given them and, and to, to, to serve the way that God's gifted him. Amen? Okay, that was a lot to say. So um, the, 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 the section that we're going to go through is along these lines. And this is the principle. It's a harvest. And, and Jesus uses the word harvest. How many farmers in here? Lie to me. Lie to me, folks. I see one hand go up. Did you farm growing up? What did you farm? Huh? Wheat? Nothing? Corn? So um, Lydia's dad was a wheat farmer. So they farmed all kinds of stuff. So every time we were in church, we always get a story from, from, from a harvest. And one of the things he would share was that in the harvest, everybody on the farm is a part of it. Everybody on the farm, um, his mom never drove a combine, but she would always drive the Lincoln and she'd bring the lunch out and, you know, brand new Lincolns coming through the field, like, bomb, bringing the food in. But everybody is a part, but everybody receives in the, in the harvest. We, um, in church, it's the same way. Everybody is given a different gift. Everybody's given a different part of the body. Now, you may not all be um, preachers or you may not all be comfortable in front of people or you may be Sunday school teachers or different parts, but every part is just as valuable and every part is a part of the harvest and and everybody receives in the spoils. So uh, two, three weeks ago, our missionary from um, Russia, who's now our missionary from the, the country of Georgia, came and he shared about the work in Georgia. And we wrote them a check um, to support the mission, an annual check for $4,000 to, um, to missions. And then, by the way, guess how much money we've received from out of state anonymously in the last two weeks? It's $4,000. I told the Lord, I was like, I think you owe us some money because it doesn't work like we, you know, we get more back than what we sowed, but it happens every time. So we, we, again, we're in a place where we need money and we we're trying to save and trying to buy our building. And, and, but we also want to be a church that's generous and give. And so, you know, whether it's wherever it fits in your meter, but we, we gave Vlad $4,000 last year towards his mission in, in, in Hungary, the week leading up to it that I didn't see was already in the PO box, but I didn't know it. We got a $1,500 check from out of state, a thousand dollar check came. So we're at 2,500 and that was like two weeks ago. And then just this week I got a check for that. I just gave Brian. It's in the offering this morning for $1,500 from somebody who doesn't come to our church from out of state that, that, that every once in a while will send us some money out of the blue. So we're at 4,000. So, um, you know, God just does it. And then here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to get to heaven and God's going to have a reward for you. And, he, and as he gives you this reward, he's going to say, hey, this is for that, that mission that you did in Georgia, the country of Georgia, and that, that wonderful people that you led to the Lord and how you served in that country. And you're going to be like, Lord, thanks for the gift. But uh, if I'm in heaven now, I guess I better be honest. I didn't go to Georgia. He's going to go, I know. I know Vlad went for you. He, he, the missionary went for you. Because we all got, get to be a part now of the harvest that, that Vlad is reaping. Because I didn't, that's not my $4,000. I mean, I, I give along with the rest of you guys, you know, to our church the way God's called me to give. But it's your money. It's our money. It's the church's money that we wrote that check. And every one of us receive in that, in that harvest. And so um, it's, uh, the tape is, like, not sticking anymore because it's hot and it's just not going to stay. So 
I need to get rid of this Britney Spears mic and get me a, just go back to the lapel. But yeah, I can't help it. Got to keep sticking it. In verse number two, chapter 10, it says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Hey, let's take a quick minute. And I want to walk through the twelve disciples that Jesus called just to paint a picture. And this is the picture I hope to paint. That these guys were different. They had different personalities. Jesus wasn't looking for a certain type of person, a certain gift, a certain, a certain fit. Some of them were um, wealthy. Some of them were regular people. Some of them were plumbers. Some of them were electricians. Some of them were um, worked in business. Some of them did uh, different things. You know, if, if Jesus called them today, every one of them, all 12 of them guaranteed were unqualified for the position and the call of God. Every one of them by standards were ragtag. These 12 men that Jesus called, called the apostles. Now this term apostle here, it means sent out ones or um, called ones. Now the, the function of the 12 apostles that, that, that are mentioned here in the Bible, I don't believe that that office exists today, that office of that apostle. Now the ministry of apostleship or, or discipleship is different, right? And that those functions happen. We see certain people that have been given uh, a, a, a grand type of ministry, Billy Graham types, I'd say Chuck Smith, um, Greg Laurie is, is doing crusades and becoming that well-known people who's led millions of people to Christ in, in the last hundred years, the DL Moody's and, um, the different, um, you know, giants of the faith, but the office that these 12 men of apostles held, I, I don't believe that that continues that we have apostles living apostles today, biblically that you could make that case. You know, what's interesting about these 12 apostles is the book of revelation says that there's 12 gates in heaven. And each of the 12 gates bears one of the names of the apostles. So there's only 12 gates, 12 names. They're already written on the 12 gates of heaven. So we can't keep adding to that list. But again, neither here nor there. But we, you know, use that term that, that we're disciples or we're followers, we're Christ followers. So Jesus calls them. The first one is Peter and, and Andrew, his brother. Now, Peter was a, a rough dude. Peter had all kinds of problems. Peter denied the Lord three times. Jesus called him Satan. How'd you like to be that disciple? The only person that's ever called me Satan before is my father-in-law. And he's my pastor. And he did it in a sermon. How do you work that in a sermon? Calling your son-in-law Satan. But he did it. But Jesus... Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you know not the things of God. And, and Peter, the history tells us he was a, a large man that he, um, that's why John outran him on the way to the, on the way to the tomb, you know, because John was younger and healthier and could outrun him. And, um, Peter was a fisherman. He probably cursed like a fisherman when Jesus met him, like a sailor in that tradition that you curse like a sailor is probably true. I, I think, you know, if, if Peter was today and Jesus was calling him a fisherman profession would be a plumber or a, a framer or an electrician. It'd be just common trade that, that, that we need in society. And, and, and Peter was that. And, and Jesus called him. You know, what, what's interesting is with these 12 guys that Jesus called, what he didn't do was he didn't go to the, to the Harvard or Yale grad lines and, and find the, the graduates who had 1,500 plus SATs who were top of their class, MIT, and, and recruit those guys. 
Now, granted, he had some people that were in different classes and in different walks. Matthew, being a tax collector, would have been a businessman who was wealthy. And um, one thing in common with all 12 of Jesus' disciples that we'll get to in a minute is all 12 of them were Jews. There were 12 Jewish males, men that Jesus called. And, and with those 12 men, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. So we have first Peter and his brother, Andrew. And then we have James, the son of Zebedee's and John, his brother. Do you guys remember James and John? They're called what? Sons of thunder. Why were they called the sons of thunder? Because they, they went in the early days of the ministry after Jesus called them and Jesus was preaching and the people in the town didn't receive Jesus's message. And so James and John were like, you know, they're the 12 disciples. They're sitting around the campfire at the end of the night. And James and John are looking in the fire. And James goes, uh, Jesus, I got an idea. Jesus goes, oh, yeah, James, what's that? And John says, oh, let me speak for him. Let me speak for my brother, Jesus. Hey, my brother and I were talking and we think that you should uh, kill everybody in that town we just left. Hey, why don't you just rain down fire and brimstone from heaven like Sodom and Gomorrah? And we'll sit here with our with our. Uh, with our marshmallows and we'll roast some marshmallows and watch all those people die. Serious this is what went down. They said, why don't you kill them all, Jesus? And so Jesus in jest, you know, joking, 12 guys sitting around a fire, you know, Jesus calls them sons of thunder because they, their idea was to just kill people that, that didn't receive the, the, the gospel. By the end of John's life, John becomes what? The apostle of love. He tells us a bazillion gillion times in the in first, second, third John to love one another. And he becomes the apostle of love because Jesus um, ministry and life so radically changed John that John was laying on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper and was so intimate and was so in love with Jesus that that he was the apostle of love. And Jesus radically changes his life. And then we have um, we have Philip. And Bartholomew, now Bartholomew's other name that we know him as a disciple, as an apostle, is Nathaniel. And, and these guys are constantly bringing people to Jesus. One of the ministries in, in the harvest, and, and what we're talking about, is that God took 12 different men, different places in life, different personalities, different gifting, and used them all. These guys, every time you see them, they're bringing people to Jesus. Find, find them in the Gospels, and they're bringing people to Jesus. You know the little boy with the Lunchable, um, the few loaves and the fish that Jesus multiplied at the feeding of the 5,000? They bring the little boy with the Lunchable, and that's um, Philip who's bringing him. And every time you see him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You know, we don't always have to be the, the theologians or, the, or the, you know, the wisest or have the, you know, the most going for us as far as leading people to Jesus. But, but sometimes one of the, the important functions is just bring people to Jesus. Just bring people to church. Bring somebody a Bible. Bring somebody an opportunity to, to meet Jesus. And, and it's, it's what these guys are constantly doing. You see them there. And then after that, we come to Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Thomas has a, a famous nickname. What is it? Doubting Thomas. Now, I don't think this is really fair of Thomas, to be honest. Now, he was a doubter, and, and the reason why he gets his name Doubting Thomas is because they, um, after Jesus rose again from the grave, all the disciples and some folks got together and were having a, a gathering, a Bible study, whatever they were doing, and a prayer meeting, and Jesus shows up res, post-resurrection in his glorified body. And guess who wasn't in church that night? Talk about a bad day to miss church. You know, Jesus shows up in the flesh, and... Um, 
Thomas wasn't there. And then Thomas shows up later and the disciples are like, Thomas, you missed the best service ever. Guess what happened? Jesus showed up in the flesh. And Thomas is like, man, I won't believe until I can put my hands in his, in his side and in the holes in his hands or I won't believe. And the next thing you know, Jesus is standing in front of Thomas. Uh, Thomas, do you want to put your hands, you know, do you want to touch my, the holes in my hands and in my side? And then Thomas gives us one of the most profound statements about Jesus we have in all the Bible. Remember this, Thomas's response that day. Thomas looked at Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. And for somebody who was as close to Jesus as Thomas, one of his 12, his, his response and the words that came out of his mouth were prophetic. Don't ever let anybody tell you Jesus wasn't God because Thomas, his disciple, believed he was God. Because he said, my Lord and my God. And I love that about Jesus. I love to use that phrase about Jesus when I describe Jesus, my Lord and my God. Because it comes right out of the Bible from Thomas and Thomas's reaction. You know, the other thing you don't remember about Thomas, well, we're thankful to Thomas because Thomas is the one in John chapter 14 and verse 5. Um, Jesus, you know, before that, Jesus says, you know, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, that I, I'm going to come again. And where I am, that I might bring you to myself. And the way I go, you know, and, and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas speaks up in verse 5, right? And he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And we're so thankful Thomas said that, right? Because then we get verse number 6. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to give you one little quick other story on Thomas that I think it's left. Because we still call him doubting. But Thomas was a pretty cool cat. When Lazarus died in, in, in John chapter 11, Jesus was a ways away from Lazarus. You guys know the story. By the time Jesus got there, um, Lazarus was dead for how long? Our Bible trivia? Four days, right? Because when, when he got there, Mary he, was, he asked him to roll the stone away. And Mary said, Lord, but by now he's... King James Version, he stinketh. Now, he'd been dead for four days. Well, when, when they were in this place and they were beginning to head there, Jesus said to the disciples, um, we need to go to Lazarus. And um, then Jesus said, he, he sleepeth or he's asleep. And the disciples said, well, if he's asleep, then he's getting better. Let's leave him alone. And then, and then Jesus was trying to communicate to him. They weren't quite getting it. So finally, Jesus says very plainly in John chapter 11, hey, guys, he's dead. And, and for whatever reason, there was a little confusion going on with the disciples that day. And, and Thomas believed that by them going to where Lazarus was, that they would be going to their death. And Thomas looks at the other 11 disciples and he says, come on, man, let us go and follow Jesus to our death till we die. And, and, and so he was willing to go and die for the Lord. And he, he, was, he had such a faith. And yeah, doubting Thomas, but, 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 but great, great, great qualities we find in little stories we get. And John's gospel records lots about Thomas. And then we see uh, Matthew. Now, if we go on, uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, Matthew was a Jew who worked for the Roman government. And the, the, the zealots of Jesus's day, they hated him. They, you know, the zealots were the nationalists. They were everything Israel. They were, they were uh, uh, just, you know, 
hated the fact that they were oppressed by the Roman government. And any chance they got, they would, they would you know, maybe even to the act of, of terrorism. Maybe these guys, some of these zealots over the years and through history did some terrorist acts where they, they went in and bombed something or blew something up or killed somebody, you know, Rome occupiers. And, um, and, and the zealot, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, and then he calls, in verse 4 there, Simon, it says the Canaanite. Another gospel tells us Simon the zealot. And so I'm sure Simon was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This guy, Matthew, can you make him sit next to me? I've wanted to get my hands around this guy's neck for years. <laughs> Thanks for calling him and letting him stand next to me. You know, he's got his knife under his side, and he's ready to do Matthew in. And Jesus calls these guys together, totally different, totally radical, and then not, not to forget in, in verse 3, it says, Alphaeus, um, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Now, let me ask you guys, what do you know about um, James, the son of Alphaeus, and um, Lebius, whose th- surname was Thaddeus? The answer? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't tell us. There's no, no recorded history of these guys. I mean, maybe history would find them somewhere, but the Bible doesn't record their ministries. And, and I think, you know, there's something in that, 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 that so many times the ministry is done from behind the scenes. And it's so many folks, you know, it's that grandma, it's my Aunt Lydia who loves Jesus and, and prays and gets up at four in the morning and prays for two hours before she goes back to sleep for an hour or two and gets up and prays again. And earnestly, every day of her life is a prayer warrior and prays. And so many people in my family have got saved because my Aunt Lydia is a warrior who prays for him. But nobody knows what she does. Nobody sees her. She's not in front line. She doesn't, she's, she's just that faithful servant of the Lord who behind the scenes just faithfully walks with the Lord and serves the Lord. And so Thaddeus and these guys, the Lord encourages us that not every one of them had to live in the limelight. And then last one being um, Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. You know, in the harvest, and this is about the harvest, and it says, then, then Jesus sent out the... Out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to share with you guys. Um, the, the, the heart is that there's lost people. And Jesus tells the disciples, Listen, do you see that there's, there's a harvest out there? That, and harvest meaning people that, that are, are far from God. People who don't know the Lord, people who, who possibly are dying and going to hell without Jesus. And, and, and Jesus looks at him and has compassion. And, and he tells the disciples, pray that somebody, that God would send somebody to go share the gospels, to go tell these folks about Jesus so they could get saved. And the, the disciples pray and they say, God, will you send somebody? And then Jesus is there. He says, okay, yeah, I'm going to send you. And then, and then they go out and they begin to preach the gospel in, in this whole context that God is laying out, that, that we're all apart, we all have a different role, Jesus takes this 12 ragtag group of people and puts them together. Turn, the, the, the gospel or the book of Acts says that these 12 men turn the world upside down. Pastor Chuck used to say these 12 apostles turn the world right side up. We all receive in the harvest and we get to be a part of the labor as we labor together with the common goal of sharing the gospel. Preaching the gospel of, of doing the work of the ministry. We have, I was hoping he'd be here this morning so I could share this story about him right here. But five years ago, almost five years ago now, when we first started this church, I don't even know if we were a church yet, 
We did a thing where we did an outreach in the park to try to let people know we were getting ready to start a church. And so we were trying to get the word out. So we were out here in Vine Park. And at the time, there was a, there was a family that we didn't know that had a young man who was dying from cancer. And, and we had these bracelets. And, and one of the, the people at um, Home Depot, how I found out about it, was a champion for this young boy. It's called Peyton's Army. And so they got these kind of camouflage bracelets, Peyton's army, reminding folks to pray for this, this young man, Peyton, who had a, a terminal brain cancer at the time. And um, young Peyton was, and I'm going to mess this up, but I think he was four, five, six-ish, right in there. And, and so when we, we did this outreach, we, we found this family that we didn't know, and we invited them to come to the thing because our, our missions team from California was coming. They were bringing a puppet show. We had a band come out from Salt Lake City in a stage, and we played worship and played some music. We did like a slide for the kids. We threw water balloons. We made um, puppets. And so I have, I don't have it anymore. It's in my basement now. I like this was like a short-lived stage of my life. But I believe that a real man should have like a man recliner in the living room. And my wife would never find place for like this big obnoxious recliner in the living room. So I never had it, right? I'd sit in this little tiny folding chair when I watched TV while she threw bad things at me because that's just how she is. But um, so I don't know, it was about a year or two before we moved out. And I finally got my like Mac Daddy recliner chair. So when it was time, like and we had a place for it. I didn't care. I just wanted the most biggest, obnoxious um, recliner you'd ever seen in your life, right? So I finally get my recliner. We put it in the spot, and it's whatever. Still bitter about it. But um, so anyways, we bring it out. So I load it up in my truck when we get here. We bring it out to the park, and we, we kind of put this thing over it. And we make a big deal for Peyton and his family and um, have him sit in this chair, put him in the front row for the puppet show, and fold some balloons for him, and just reach out to him and love him, be a part of their lives. And um, so the the... The day comes and goes, and they were super appreciative, and, um, and, and you know, they're not a part of our church, and um, so we follow the story, and eventually within, you know, a, a period of time, Peyton goes home to be with the Lord, and um, at that time, I didn't really have connection with his family, but I think maybe on Facebook a little bit, I sent him a message, just told him that we loved him, we're praying for him, we're sorry for their loss, and, um, and the LDS church, I think they were part of the LDS church at that time, and um, we're reaching out to him, and so... Um, about a year, two years later, no contact, no nothing, just out of the blue, they show up here one Sunday. And they're just kind of, you know, remember us from that time. And they, they, they start to get involved a little bit. And, and then I don't see them again for a long time. And um, it was the 4th of July last year. And our float comes down the street and they're sitting in the crowd. And they see our float, and they see Tooele Springs, and they see our people. And God uses that as an opportunity to speak to their heart that it's time for them to get back in church. And they get a little conviction from the Holy Spirit that they should come back. And, and so because of that, they come back. And this year, the truck that pulled the float was Brandon Squires and Jenna, who is that family, who's a part of our church now. And who's grown and God is using and God is doing amazing work in their heart and life and, and just seeing them grow in the Lord and loving Jesus. And, um, you know, and we, we all get to be a part of that. You know, we, we, what we do here and why we're here, we, we get to see lives change. And it's, it's stories like that. And it's lives like that. I think of Mike and Rebecca Hendrickson. Mike and Rebe- Rebecca Hendrickson um, grew up LDS their whole lives. Before we ever got here and planted a church, someone in their family decided that they, they wanted to leave the LDS church for their own reasons. And it was, I believe, Rebecca's sister 
and, and was, was asking Mike and Rebecca to check out some of the evangelical churches and sharing with them some of the things. And so they had come to the, um, the, they were, the, I think their family was involved in the Rock Church in Salt Lake somewhere. And the Rock Church is like exactly what it sounds like. Like it's the Rock Church, you know, like that last song we did on steroids or something. But, you know, I think it's pretty upbeat. And for somebody that has an LDS background, that's a little overwhelming when you come into drums and guitars and all this stuff. And Rebecca shared with me that she's like, it was so overwhelming, the worship. It was such culture shock when I first got to the Rock. And she said, then when I came to your church for the first time, we were just a brand new church. We had one gal, her name was Destiny. She was our worship leader. And she played a guitar by herself, standing right here, one guitar, one girl. And she said, I walked in and she said, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was just destiny in her guitar. And she was like, it was just easier for me to, to, to take at the time. But I tricked her. Look at it now. <laughs> we got her now. But it was just, the, you know, where we were at. But, you know, and to see where, you know, God has really worked in her husband's life and Mike's life. And Mike has such gifts for ministry and gifts for prayer and loves people and serves. And um, to get to be a part of that, you know, and I, I never believed for a minute that, that God wouldn't have worked in the Squires family, that God wouldn't have worked in the Hendrickson family, that God wouldn't have worked in so many other families if we didn't come. God would have done it anyways. He would just have done it with somebody else. But look, we get to be a part of it. We, we all get to, to be a part of the harvest. We, we all have our little piece and we all buy in to some extent and, and the gifting that God has given you to use for, for his glory. Amen? That's not the last amen. Don't get too excited. We're, we'll still beat the Methodists to the restaurant. Just give me a minute. We're almost done. We're almost done. Um, so then it says in verse number six, it says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I do need to just teach through this for just one second. So as a teaching point here, it's important that this is not the great commission. Okay. So sometimes we read through this section of Matthew right here and we see these calls and, and, and sometimes it's a struggle because we're trying to make it fit our lives today. And the reality is this was a specific call and, and we, we call it just for terms. We call it limited commission because the great commission, we find that where? Matthew 20 starts with the E I G Matthew 20. Did I spell that right? Matthew 28. We find the great commission go into all the world and preach the gospel to what every tribe, tongue and nation, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them all things that I taught you. That's the great commission. That's for you. That's for me. That's for today. Here we have this commission and look what it says. It says, it says, in verse number five, right? Do not go into the Gentiles and nor enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost house of Israel. Are you called to preach the gospel to Gentiles? Yes, the Great Commission says to preach the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So again, just as you, you go through here, just be careful. No. And, and why was it that God didn't allow this group to go to the Gentiles, that he only wanted them to go to Israel? Only to the house of Israel, no Gentiles. Later, God was going to raise up a guy by the name of Paul who was going to become another Jewish disciple who God was going to use to become the, the disciple, the apostle to the Gentiles and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But first of all, the Jews were prepared. All this right here was preparing Israel and God's people for their coming Messiah. It was a gift that, that, that the rest of the world didn't necessarily have. The Jews didn't, or the Gentiles didn't have that preparation. And so God's design originally, and I think that, that it, to some respects, Israel missed part of the purpose. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he said, if you had known your potential, if you had known your peace, you, you would have been, you know, you would have had so much more potential. But God's design was that, and they did it to extent too. Like not to say that they completely blew it, 
Because they, they did. But God's original design was that the nation of Israel would be a light to the world, that, that he would entrust to them the, the word of God, and they would share it with the world. And, and again, they did because these 12 men, these 12 apostles that Jesus called, they're the ones that God used to, to turn the world upside down. You know, I can imagine after Jesus died on the cross and he went up to heaven and Gabriel was there to celebrate with him. And Gabriel says, oh, Jesus, how outstanding, you know, you you died on the cross and you rose again and you conquered sin and death and you defeated Satan and you gave an opportunity for people to come to Jesus and make it to heaven. You are the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through you. Jesus, that's so awesome. Does the world know what you did? Jesus said to to Gabriel, oh, no, just 12 guys. Gabriel like. Oh, what are you talking about? Just 12 guys. And Jesus says, yeah, just 12 guys. Just 12 ragtag everyday plumbers and electricians and businessmen and, you know, just normal people like it, like, like you folks, like me, that I left the gospel with. And those 12 Jewish evangelists turned the world upside down. You know, I love that scene in the movie Risen. I always share this little story, but, you know, and there's a little ad lib, right? A little, a little uh, theatrical liberties in this movie. So it's not all Bible, but there's a scene in the movie where the, the, the Roman centurion is um, protecting the 12 apostles from other Romans that are trying to kill them. The other soldiers are coming on, oppressing the, the disciples. And there's this one scene where that Roman centurion, he's got to leave the 12. And he says to his friend, to another guy, he says, hey, man, you got to you got to really help me protect these 12 guys. The future of the world depends on their on their safety. And then they pan back to these 12 guys and they're all ragtag, all messed up looking, jacked up people. And like the, the entire world's, you know, success, uh, everything depends upon these 12 guys. I'm just ordinary people that Jesus called. You know, one of the cool things that, that happened in those 12, those 12, and we're done. You guys can close your Bibles and then we'll, we'll pray. But the, those, those 12 guys that Jesus called, the Bible says that Jesus prayed all night. He didn't sleep that night. So he prays all night. And then in the morning, after spending all night with the father in the morning, he, he chooses the 12 disciples. Now, one of two things happened. Either Jesus blew that prayer or that's what he prayed for. And, 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 you know, it's pretty cool. It's encouraging, right? That Jesus just uses ordinary people, that Jesus just chose you and I to, to preach the gospel and share the gospel. Amen. Let's stand. All right. Hey, so we, um, we're just going to pray today and close today. You guys, normally we do a last song here, but we're going to just close out in prayer today and let you guys escape this heat. We, again, we, we love you guys, and, and we are so glad you joined us today, especially if you're new. Um, if you're old hat, forget you, but everybody else that's, that's new with us today, we love you guys, man. We're glad you're here. No, I'm teasing. We, we, we really do. We, we, we care for everybody, you know, and, and with the love of Jesus. And so, you know, one, one of our, our calls of God is it's a biblical term that, that's found in the epistles. And it says that, that those that were far from God or far from Jesus were brought close to Jesus to, to know God and to make him known. And so, you know, one of, one of the calls of God is, is, is to give everybody in here each week and I'll be redundant. If you join our community and, and you'll see this is nothing new that, that every week, because we don't know who's here each week and what the needs are that, that if you came this morning 
And if you want to get your life right with Jesus, you want to ask Jesus in your heart, you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, you want to give your life to Jesus the first time, maybe you gave your life to Jesus at 12 years old at camp somewhere and you've been not walking with the Lord, or maybe you're just not sure today if if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity to get right. And how do you do that? The Bible says you just ask. Basically, you just say yes to Jesus. You realize you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. can't do good works. You can just fully trust and rely upon the grace of God. We want to give you that opportunity. What we'll do is we'll just, uh, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And we'll just pray together as a church. I always ask everyone to pray out loud so that everybody's comfortable. And the reality is, even though we all pray this, if, if this is you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, God, God will know your heart. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that was lost who comes to repentance. And, and, and if it's you in here today and you're really meaning this, the Lord will hear you and God will change and touch your life today. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I realize I'm a sinner in need of your grace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again the third day. Be the Lord of my life. I give you my life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. We hope to see you back here tonight at 5. God bless you guys. Have a great week.